What is up, boys and girls? Thank you so much for joining episode number 24 of the Fiber Performance Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Brooke Turner on, who is an absolute guru when it comes to pelvic floor work. She is a nutrition. I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this, but she's a nutritionist. She's exercise physiologist. She's worked with tons of people and especially ladies that are pregnant that are trying to work through stages of pregnancy, but also trying to train at the same time. So this has been her specialty for more than 10 years and she is doing some amazing work, inspiring lots of people and getting people moving at all stages of life, which is pretty fascinating. And I absolutely love it. There is so much cool information coming at you guys today. So uh, I'm so keen to rip in. Brooke, Thank you so much for jumping on. The pleasure is all mine, James. I'm, I'm stoked to be here and I just want to give you a great big pat on the back for actually you know, opening up this platform and having this conversation about a topic that is often um, you know, swept under the rug or sort of giggled at or can often be the elephant in the room. So I'm really pumped to, to be chatting to you for the next little bit about this stuff. Oh, I love it too. And this goes so, so much um, so much deeper than just training. This is, you know, this is about mindset as well, which is kind of what we talk about too. When we look at uh, pillars of performance, we don't just look at the physical things that we can do to try and improve ourselves and trying to extend longevity and in, enjoy life a little bit more. But it also comes down to the mental side of things and the way that we approach um, particular topics. And if we can open them up and make them a little bit more uh, digestible or make people feel better about talking about them, then, then we're still winning at the same time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so, yes. Go on. Yeah, um, I was going to say, as you said, um, exercise scientist and nutrition background. Um, I live in Western Australia in, in the Pilbara called, in a town called Caratha. Some of you may be familiar with that. Um, and I'm also a mum of three. So I sort of came into this area when I embarked on my own preconception journey over eight years ago now. Um, and I've always been a life athlete, you know, high intensity, high impact, I like to throw some weights around. Um, and I wanted to make sure that when I was pregnant, I could keep moving in a way that I enjoyed. But it, you would know every, every good coach needs a coach. You know, every, every doctor needs a doctor. Like if we're not investing and continuing to upskill or, or learning from the best, then we're not, we're not growing and moving forward. So I wanted, I wanted, despite knowing what I knew and having the experience that I had, I wasn't, I didn't have the confidence to, to, you know, to keep doing CrossFit or functional training or, you know, going for a run. Um, so I, I made it, you know, I reached out to sort of see what was out there. A lot of the information I found was outdated. It was unreputable, um, but it wasn't empowering me to move in a way that I enjoy. A lot of it was, here's a fit ball, sit down, do two kilo bicep curls. <laughs> and we know yeah. that if we want people to be successful at an exercise program, like we have to enjoy the way we move. So that I thought if I'm feeling like this and, you know, I, I know a bit about this stuff and surely there's other women out there feeling the same. So from there, I made it my mission, you know, to create resources for women, but also coaches and trainers and exercise professionals working with women, um, you know, on safe, effective, but enjoyable exercise for pregnancy or for exercise all stages of their life. Oh, I love that so much. And you hit the nail on the head there. And this is what we talk about so much. People will say, James, what is the best training program? What is the best structure to follow? How am I going to get the best results? And I'm like, to be honest, whatever you're going to stick to, whatever fires you up, whatever gets you jumping out of bed to get after it, that's the best program for you. And that, you know, somewhat goes down the path, maybe not as much down the lines of nutrition, but any type of movement that is going to fire you up, make you happy, 
get you fitter, faster and stronger in whichever way that may be. It could be, you know, going and doing some yoga or Pilates or then going and doing a CrossFit session or being a swimmer. But whatever's going to keep you consistent, I think consistency is key. And if you're doing stuff that you just don't enjoy, like I don't want to do that either. So I'll just no. chop and change it. And, it, yeah. and you know what? what's good right now might not be good in three months' time or six months' time or five years' time. And the cool thing is we have the ability to chop and change and use our body in multiple different ways. So sometimes I feel like getting really endurance and fit and going for a run. And then other times I just feel like lifting weights. And then, you know, other times I prefer just to go for a surf. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that, like you say, you know, over that period of time, like, yeah, there is a time and a place in pregnancy when maybe you do need to take some of your overhead movement seated and reduce the load or the volume or increase the rest or you know, it's it's not a case of that you have to stop exercising during this time. It's a matter of adapting it. And if you're a coach, you know, like up, upskilling and having the knowledge so that you can keep coaching and programming in a way that you enjoy and also in a way that like your clients and your members enjoy training. Because if you're not empowering them to move in that way, they're going to gonna go and find someone else that, that does. So Exactly. You know, that's spot on. And I totally agree with you. So, now, I wanted to ask you a question. So PFD or pelvic floor dysfunction, can you please tell yeah. myself and the audience what it is? Um, is it common and who typically would suffer from pelvic floor dysfunction? And is it restricted to just the females or is there males that experience this too? Yeah, awesome, awesome questions. And if you were hearing this for the first time and going like, what, what the hell is pelvic floor dysfunction? Or, you know, when I talk about prolapse, you're going, what is prolapse? Um, whether it's yourself or, you know, someone listening, you're, you're not alone in going, wow, I haven't actually heard anybody talk about this before or maybe I have, but I thought it was an old lady problem. Um, and in fact, it isn't. Um, a gynecologist has in fact said that to me before, that prolapse is, is only something that impacts old ladies. Um, and we can talk, you know, that is a risk factor for pelvic floor dysfunction. But Let's have a bit of a chat about it. So um, when we talk about pelvic floor dysfunction, we're, we're talking about things like um, urinary stress incontinence. So maybe women or men laugh when they, they leak, when they laugh, cough, sneeze, jump, run, lift a heavy load, um, high impact exercises. And then there's also bowel incontinence. So this could be fecal um, or flatulence. And we also have pelvic organ prolapse. So the pelvic floor is made up of muscles and tissues and ligaments that stretch basically from our pubic bone through to our coccyx and then sideways as well, um, you know, to, from one sitting bone to the other. And from chronic heavy lifting, from um, uh, respiratory illness, uh, coughing, straining, bowel motions, uh, pregnancy, that can actually cause those ligaments, those muscles to stretch and weaken and become compromised and the pelvic floor has a really important role in, in supporting our internal organs of our bladder and our bowel and our uterus. Um, and prolapse is essentially the downward displacement of one or more of those organs into or out of the vagina. So it is very common. It, it's common in women. If, if, you, if you're a trainer listening to this, like we can talk about stats, it, it does impact men. So men are at risk of, of um, incontinence. They are at risk of prolapse um, to a lesser degree more so. And, and that isn't necessarily my area of specialty, but there are these amazing professionals out there um, called pelvic health incontinence physiotherapists, or you may have heard of them as women's health physios, um, and they specialise in pelvic health and continence and, and all of these problems that may occur. So um, when we talk about urinary incontinence, one in three women who have had a baby will leak urine. 
if we look at um, bowel incontinence, fecal or flatulence, one in 10 women will experience that. Um, and about 50% of women at some stage in their life will experience pelvic organ prolapse. So those stats are pretty wow. huge. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea that it was that common. No. That's super interesting. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, and it is. Go on. Well, I, I suppose you, you mentioned like um, the, the pillars of performance and, and mental well-being and, and that kind of thing. And so for women who are navigating stress incontinence or urge overflow incontinence um, or prolapse in particular, that there, there are a number of different types. So a woman may have more than one type of prolapse. Um, and there, there's varying grades as well. So um, women's health physios will measure an internal assessment, two fingers inside the vagina is, is a gold standard assessment for, for measuring um, prolapse. And, and, and they will grade that accordingly. So um, if you think about the mental implications of somebody navigating this, think about how mm. often maybe you've heard this story spoken about in your in, you know, area of expertise, um, the women that you come into contact with, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's so common, but it's not spoken about. So is it is it common? Yes, but is it normal? No, and help is available. So I think it's really important that we have this conversation um, yeah. to help raise awareness Absol to that. Absolutely. And this, this is a topic that, again, like you said, is probably for um, the most part, you know, for a lot of people embarrassing to talk about. Some people I'm, I'm sure are just like, hey, yeah, I've got this thing going on and have no problem. But probably from the majority, I'm like just guessing here, you know, it might be an embarrassing topic, um, but it also is a very important topic. And this is not exclusive to people that, you know, have just started training. This also happens to people that are well-trained, have been training, well, some, somewhat believe training their pelvic floor for a long time, lifting weights on a regular basis, being active as a, as a, a kid, teenager and adult. But this still doesn't uh, restrict them or being them uh, them being off the cards to something like this. So, ha can this happen to professional athletes and people that are training on a you know five times a week basis and doing you know supposedly all the right things or in their mind all the right things? Can this still affect those people? And if so, um, have you got any any background around that? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you've you, you've basically just that was a wonderful segue. So. Like our pelvic floor and our pelvic health isn't just about what's happening for pregnancy and postpartum. It's the sum of our experience. So everything a woman or you know a man, if we're not talking about pregnancy, has done up until now, like how, how they've gone to the toilet, their genetics, their stress levels, um, everything. But then of course, pregnancy and, and motherhood, you know, postpartum, those, especially those um, first 12 to 24 months is a really important time. So it's not just an old lady thing. And fitness professionals or ex, you know, fit pros, um, professional athletes aren't immune to this. Um, and there, there's, I, I'm not sure if there's anyone sort of leading the way or sharing your experience, but myself, you know, a lifelong athlete, mum of three, I'm not an elite athlete, but I've been training for life and I'll continue to do so. I am living with pelvic, I have, you know, mild pelvic organ prolapse and it's something that I've had to navigate three times, you know, three pregnancies, three postpartum deliveries, um, it was something that really played on my mind around do I have a third child if if I can't you know throw down these weights or go for that run or, or do I know how that would impact me mentally so it was actually like that can be something that, that hold women back um, 
And, and as you said, you can do all of the right things. So I, I want, it's important for women to know that you might do all the right things during your pregnancy, um, but your labour and your delivery carry with it a lot of risk factors as well. And that's sort of what I encountered in my experience. So, you know, when, when people are diagnosed with things, there's this blame or this shame game that we want to play and a bit of denial, um, but you can do all the right things. And it, you know, some people say that a cesarean section if you have a C-section, you, you're immune to pelvic floor dysfunction. And that's a load of crap um, because pregnancy in itself is a risk factor for pelvic floor, you know, organ prolapse, for, for um, urinary incontinence. It's that 10 months, that 37 to 42 weeks of carrying a pregnancy that places load and strain and stretches those muscles and ligaments. So, so that in itself is a risk factor. Um, what a cesarean section will eliminate and it will, you know, other pelvic floor risk factors like a long pushing stage, um, a third or fourth degree tear, so an obstetric anal sphincter injury. So if you haven't gone through this, you're probably thinking, listening along going, wow, like what, what is that? And, and, you know, that's a, um, a severe tearing. Um, so lots of things can come into play, but, you know, large baby, long pushing stage, excess weight, chronic constipation, repetitive heavy lifting, um, I think the more we know about it now at any stage of your life, I think if people listening in your 20s and you think it's not relevant to me now, I don't really care about it, um, I, I want women to be like, how come not, you know, I'm informed, I'm empowered, I'm educated, not a case of far out, why didn't anybody tell me? Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess this moves really well into the next part. What would be some signs and symptoms of say, a dysfunction or a prolapse? What would people look for, what they feel, and um, how would it um, come to the surface and be on someone's radar? Yeah. Um, so the biggest characteristic of, of prolapse is like a heaviness or a dragging um, or like a bulging sensation or feeling in the vagina. That would be the main characteristic of that. Um, you know, in... in more severe cases, women may see like they may see the bulge. It may be, you know, extreme cases that may be outside of the vagina. But this is all like if we think about women, they're cyclical creatures. Um, different times of the month, stress levels, nutrition, hydration, sleep, all of these kind of things are going to impact symptoms as well. So um, that that would be the biggest risk factor is that at some point there just feels vaginal heaviness or dragging. Um, so for me, I'm at a point now where I'm pretty much symptom-free, which is amazing. My youngest is now two years old. but And it's sort of like when you're healthy, right? Like when when you're healthy and you're fit, you're ticking along and you, you take it for granted, like you kind of just feel a bit bulletproof and, yeah, like you, and then when you get sick or you're injured, you know, you've navigated your fair share of injuries, that's when you're like, oh, like I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'll never take my health for granted. And it's the same with pelvic floor symptoms. So... For a woman who's experiencing vaginal heaviness, those symptoms are going to consume her. Um, mm, and I've, I've lived absolutely. this. Yeah. Um, like you're working through back injuries. Like if you have back pain, like that's probably all you're thinking about. How long is it going to take me to recover? When am I going to get better? When can I get back to doing X, Y, and Z? Um, yeah, so the symptoms can kind of become all-consuming and that that's when, you know, it's not about the degree of prolapse. It's more about... What's a woman's quality of life like? Um, and it can yeah, happen at uh, any stage. Yeah, wow. And is there a particular time frame around, or is there something 
in and around pregnancy, would, could it happen during stages of pregnancy or is it, is it exclusively afterwards that it typically, or are you at the highest risk afterwards? Yeah, so it can happen during pregnancy. Um, I've had trainers do my course who, who, and I've been very open about it as well, they've, they've never gone through pregnancy, but they've done Olympic lifting and with stress in their life, they've developed a prolapse and had to work through that. So I think we make a mistake of, oh, I've not been pregnant or I'm not a mum, so it's not going to affect me. Um, you know, in, in the heavy lifting game, it, it is a risk factor. So it can, can present during pregnancy, which is why we'd want to, scale back and regress our movements and our volume and, and our load because of this, because of the load to the pelvic floor, because of the changes in structure to the abdominals. Um, you know, a lot of the time for exercise, we think take out the impacts just about pelvic floor will be right. Mm. Um, yeah. But it's also about the abdominals, like our, our core, our transverse abdominus, our pelvic floor, diaphragm, they all, they're all like neighbours or cousins or buddies. Um, so they all work in synergy. So it's about, you know, not not trying to prove that pregnancy isn't an illness because it's not, but and I, mm. it comes back to this ego. And I mean, I had a bit of that in my first pregnancy, despite knowing all the things um, it can, it can be a really tough mindset shift, but mm. adjustments need to be made. We don't need to train for birth. We need to move in a way that's smart now so that we have that longevity in the future to keep moving in a way that we enjoy. Absolutely. Longevity is probably the, um, it's in the top top three topics that we talk about here on the Fiber Performance Podcast is making sure that we are autonomous for as long as possible. We can still move and play and express ourselves in the way that we want to for as long as we possibly can. And that comes back to making sure, you know, we're covering our bases with, you know, sleep, nutrition, training and social circles too. So could you tell me some ways that we could lower the risk of a uh, dysfunction, a pelvic floor dysfunction and what types of things would we typically modify, especially during pregnancy, to help lower the risk of something um, becoming dysfunctional? Yeah, perfect. Um, and I think this is where, like, it's a controversy, controversial um, and often confusing topic. So women might fall pregnant and they go, like, what can I keep doing? Or they're looking at social media because, you know, um, you know there's a lot of you know powerful influence and information out there and what's reputable and what's right for them and their journey um, so there's heaps of physiological changes that occur during pregnancy um, like increased cardiac output blood volume respiratory rate so in general you know your perception of effort is going to be higher for a given work rate than your pre-pregnancy levels um, intensity of exercise is really important in the first trimester there's not really huge loads on the pelvic floor and the abdominals at this time but that can carry with it um, you know, greater risk of miscarriage and baby's core organ, um, baby's organ development. But you want to give consideration to the intensity, the volume, the type and the load. So if you think about a third trimester pregnancy, 30 plus weeks, big belly, beautiful, big uterus. And if we then we're going into an overhead squat or a snatch squat or, or something like that, if you think about those long levers away from where is their centre of gravity, because that changes during pregnancy, a lot of the load comes forward, you know, growing breast tissue, growing tummy, load to the lumbar spine. So any exercise that's going to increase pressure through the abdominals, push-ups, GHD sit-ups, um, GHD butterfly sit-ups, you know, rowing, too much extension through the pull phase of the row, it's not a forward flexion type movement, but it is increasing pressure through the abdominals. So the biggest thing I think you need to be aware of is the physiological changes that are occurring because in order to understand why modifications need to be made, 
we need to go, okay, what's going on on the inside? And yeah, one of the, yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is like, I feel, I feel good. So I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. And mm. my, my take on that is just because you can, it doesn't mean that you should. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because there's a lot of social media, um, you know, that plays into everybody's lives, especially when people see um, influencers that are pregnant and working out, they're just like, oh, either they, you know, jump onto one side of the fence, which is, oh, they're doing it, I can do it too. And maybe that might not be the best thing to do. Or I can't believe they're doing that. I'm not going to do anything at all. So what are some myths or misconceptions about training during pregnancy that probably people, um, you know, well, I guess there's two sides of the coin here. People either, you know, love it or hate it, or there's, you know, probably a happy medium somewhere. Um, and do you recommend still exercising during pregnancy? Is it something that we should continue to do out of, in your professional opinion? And what are some, what are some misconceptions that we, we might think or the majority of people think are, are true, but probably not so, not so true. Mm. How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, give me, give me maybe, give yeah. me maybe the top, the top two. Yeah. I'm sure we could talk about it for an hour. Yeah, no, we could but, um, absolutely. I think, um, I think in general, general terms, it's never too late to start moving more or eating well. And during pregnancy, you know, it is, you know, 37 to 42 weeks, you know, depending on when women give birth. So some might think, oh, I'm 30 weeks pregnant. I'm just, I haven't been training. I'm not going to bother starting now. So I, I think that's a key piece of advice. But a mm. lot of the, you know, yes, keep keep moving during pregnancy. It's, you know, so beneficial to both you and your baby. But I think there's this, okay, if my doctor says, you know, there's all this talk around like, have you got your doctor's approval? Um, and yes, you, yes you, you'd need that and you want to work with that. And depending on if you're going privately with an obstetrician or publicly, um, you know, with a midwife, um, they're focused on most of the time what's best for the baby. And at the end of the day, it's got to be about what, yeah, what's best for the baby, but also what, what's best for the mum. So have they seen a women's health physio? Are they working with a certified trainer or coach in pre and postnatal? Do they have the right advice and support around them so that they can keep lifting loads safely um, and, and moving in a way that they enjoy? But that, like I said, I don't want to get to a point and be like, how come nobody told me this? Um, because I think back to 20-year-old me in the industry and I wasn't interested in any of this stuff as a coach or a trainer. And my demographics, you know, I, I did have, have women in, in this crew. So it's never too late to start moving more, eating well. Um, and that, yeah, pelvic organ prolapse, it, it can impact you at any time of your life. Um, but, but we are at a greater risk during pregnancy and in that postpartum stage. So there is no rush to get back into your pre-pregnancy exercise levels um, once that beautiful baby is here. That's amazing. And what would be some typical forms of training that you would recommend um, ladies continue on doing and maybe things that they might want to drop out of the, the training program or structure. So some, maybe some top exercises or top forms of, of moving that you would say, yeah, that is great. Keep doing that. And Hey, maybe notch this down or decrease the load and intensity here as much as possible. And that might be across the board load and intensity. Um, you know, if you're running marathons and, in under three hours and then, or if you're lifting 120 kilos for a clean and jerk, maybe you want to knock it down a bit from both sides of things, but maybe just some top exercises that you're just like, yep, yeah, look, this is great. Keep doing that. 
um, and then maybe shift it when you get to, say, that third trimester. Yeah, cool. And that's, um, it is because we want to know, like, what can we do? What can't we do? What's right and what's wrong? And it's, it's not a case of necessarily what's right and wrong, but is there a more safe and suitable alternative? Um, mm. So if we think about things like hipping pull-ups or muscle-ups, we'd want to rule them out. Why would we want to do that? If we think about the pressure and the load through the abdominals, you know, in both phases of, of like a kipping pull-up, it's going to increase that intra-abdominal pressure. So there's heaps of ways that we can keep moving in that movement pattern um, and keep those muscles strong so that we can get back into it post-baby, you know, assisted pull-ups or um, uh, working the negatives, jumping pull-ups, ring rows or TRX rows. rows. So there's, yeah, there's so many ways that we can regress things down. Um, so things like keeping pull-ups, heavy overhead movements, we'd want to start to reduce the load or take seated. Once you take it seated, you take the load off the pelvic floor. Any any load is pelvic load. So if we're seated, that's great. And we can still lift some moderate loads in a seated position. It also eliminates like the cheating that you would use mm. with, with other muscle mm. groups. Um, skipping, that's a high impact exercise. Like when we run, we exert, I think it's six times our body weight through the body wow. so you know skipping it, it comes down to risk versus reward so even though somebody might not be leaking when they're doing double unders um you know in that third trimester of pregnancy what's the physiological response that double unders are going to provide you that's mm, going to boost your exactly. heart rate it's going to increase your cardiovascular fitness so how can we generate that same physiological response in a way that's more safe and suitable have we got access to an erg if not, you know, mm. can we be doing step-ups or weighted step-ups or, or something like that? So it's just about, okay, what does this exercise generate? What response do we want it to generate? Mm -hmm. And then how can we modify it in a more safe and suitable manner? So, yeah, pull-ups, there's, there's a lot, but there's always a, there's yeah. always a regression for that, right? So Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And that goes for everything. And that, I think that's why... I've always been so attracted to the CrossFit methodology. Um, and this goes for, you know, personal training and other forms of fitness too, but I just happen to be in the CrossFit space, but there's always a, a movement regression somewhere that will suit someone at any stage of life, which is super cool. You can always figure out new ways to do it. There's plenty of options and you just have to be a little bit creative. And again, look at what the adaptation is. Look what the stressor is. Figure out what the regression is to get the same type of adaptation without the risk involved. And I think that's a really good way to look at things. Um, and that goes for anything. Other types of injuries as well. This is also plays, plays into that too. So it, it doesn't just have to be the, you know, the PFD, but it could also be, you know, knees, hips, shoulders. And just, you know, sometimes you just got to maybe just drop the ego a little bit or forget about, oh, I used to hit this, so I should be somewhere close to that. Just drop it for a bit. And the progression there, a slow progression is always a better progression, nice and smooth and, you know, be consistent along the way. Now, this leads me into the next question, um, and this is probably, I guess, what I'll, pretty much probably every, I'm not going to say every because I don't want to do a blanket statement, but pre-baby body, post-baby body, and the bounce back effect, because I hear that a lot. It's just like, oh, that, you know, that um, Sarah bounced back so quick after pregnancy, like, is that, is that? down to you know their lifestyle prior to getting pregnant their um or their lifestyle during pregnancy or combination of both and what ways can we bounce back back to pre-baby bodies is that a thing or not a thing 
Yeah, that's not a thing. Um, it, it is a thing, it, like, and we hear it being spoken about, but we need to not make it a thing. Um, no. We need to di ditch that dialogue, you know, because people do talk about getting their pre-baby body back or bouncing back after they're having a baby. And that's the kind of dialogue that we want, want to remove because once a woman has carried a pregnancy, once they've delivered a baby, whether it's vaginally or C-section, um, they're changed. They're, they're changed mentally, they're changed physically, they're changed spiritually. They, they will never be the same again um, in mind, in body, you know, in spirit. Um, but that's not to say that a woman cannot and will not be strong, find her fitness, hit personal bests or, or love her body again because, you know, she absolutely can and will. But that's got to be with the right support and guidance along the way. So, you know, um, I think we can fall into the comparison trap, whether it's females or males or, you know, pregnant or not. This, this person is 12 weeks pregnant and they're doing that or they've got a six-month-old and they look like that and they're moving in that way. We can compare our journey to others and that's what we need to not do because we don't know if someone's working through prolapse or incontinence or any of those kind of issues. Um, we don't know what sort of support they have at home. Maybe they have family that live in town that can help and they're getting plenty of sleep versus someone um, who isn't. So I think the key things there is, you know, you have forever to find your fitness. That was a really important mantra for me, navigating my postpartum journeys, you know, particularly having subsequent pregnancies, wanting to get back to, you know, lift, lifting the heaviest and running the fastest and being a little bit competitive in that regard. And, and like I said, that ego shift and, and working on the mindset is, it is just a season. We have forever to find our fitness. If if we can keep active during pregnancy, it's going to go a long way in promoting a, a positive and a and an easier or a smoother postnatal recovery and and returning to your pre-pregnancy fitness and strength levels. Yeah, and I guess that physically, like you said, once you've you've carried a baby, your body has changed and it has changed forever. But that's not to say that it's changed for the worse. It's you know, no. it's just a change and it can, you can come back uh, to a, you know, maybe a, an equal level of fitness or better again. So you can't write that off. And that's probably the physical side of something, but coming from a mother, could you tell us how your mindset changed after you had your first, second and third child? Yeah. After my first, I was bulletproof. Like if yeah. I can have, I've, I had three really positive vaginal deliveries, I was like, if I can have a baby, I can do anything. Like the mindset that I then carried through to my training um, and in, in, in competition and, and thing, I was like, don't mess with me because I can do anything. Like my mental grip was, was the best it had ever been. Um, enter second postpartum journey, you know, navig sleep, nutrition, mindset, exercise, like they're all really important factors. Um, and I was broken. I was I was navigating um, postnatal anxiety. It was it was really hard. Like it was such a big drop. So like you said before, James, once you've had a baby, it doesn't mean that you you can't perform at an elite level or be better than you were before. Because so many women come into motherhood, and I call it the hood. You know, once we enter the hood, we're there for life, um, yeah. regardless of how old your kids are. But if you look at like Serena Williams and Annie, Annie Thoris' daughter and um, you know, they're wonderful examples of women who have been mums, but they, you know, you, you can still get back to a really high performing level because we can. But mentally, 
yeah, there, there's so many barriers to exercise in general, right? For general population or for us. And then as a mum, you become time and energy poor. So if, you know, movement was a really big part of who you are and now you're struggling to get that movement in, it's about, okay, well, how can you break down those barriers? Or if you own an affiliate or a gym or a studio, how can you remove those barriers, you know, for your members? Can you have a crèche there to help get them, you know, back out um, to where they're moving? And then I think as well, I'm at a point now where I'm feeling so much better, you know, two years into my third journey, no more babies done. Like I have forever to find my fitness. I'm getting there. Um, but I think we just need to break down barriers. We need to know that if we're training alongside or coaching women who are mums or just people in general, they're there for their best 45, 60 minutes of their day. Um mm -hmm. I move for my mental health. That's the number one reason why I exercise. I have other goals in the pipeline, but that's that's why I move. So if someone's there, it's not a case of go hard or go home. We don't have to smash them. Let's just get them exercising and out of those four walls because, yeah, life in the hood, it's it's a journey. It's non-linear um, and it can be pretty tough mentally. Yeah, totally. And out of curiosity, do you think training to a high level prior and not, not like to, you don't have to be like a pro or anything like that, but training in general, do you think that prepared you to grit through? Obviously, pregnancy is a, a pretty, um, it's a pretty hard thing to go through. Obviously, it's quite painful. It, you know, it requires fitness to a degree, right? Um, yeah. Do you think training prior helped with the pregnancy itself? And do you, do you think that um, you were better equipped than you could have, than you were if say you, didn't train as much. Do you think that helped a lot with actually dealing with the pregnancy during, like at the time of? Yeah, absolutely. So being physically, like keeping up my endurance, my strength, like that played a huge role. And particularly in the postnatal recovery, you know, like you're not doing a lot in those early days, but the weight is going to, you know, start to level itself out if that's something that women are concerned about. But it wasn't just the exercise. Like I did a lot of mindset and breath work in the lead up to it as well, because we all know that if we have to get through something painful, like what, what's out in a dialogue, like how are we talking to ourselves, what kind of mindset are we operating from? So I think you know, work through their pregnancy and their birth and their motherhood journey, like working with a breath coach or a, a yoga instructor or, you know, combining those elements as well. Like I, variability is one of my favourite kind of training variables, like ha having that variability in there. So, um, and again, that, that holistic, I, I suppose that four-pillar approach um, is key. Yeah, I love that. And you touched on it just before. And I think this is probably going to speak to gym owners, affiliate owners, studio owners, PTs. How would a, in your mind and your experience, how would a, a gym, a studio, a CrossFit affiliate uh, break down those barriers, you know, maybe over and above a crash, but, you know, is, is it extra space? How would they do it to make... Um, it more inclusive for females that have, you know, are maybe dealing with a dysfunction, how would they be able to navigate that a little bit better and make it a little bit of an easier, um, uh, an easier topic to either, you know, address um, inside the gym? Um, is there bits of equipment they could possibly, um, you know, get in that will help? Is there um, a type of space? Well, tell us a little bit about that and how would gyms and studios adapt a little bit more to make it more inclusive and a little bit easier um, for you know, postpartum recovery and um, dysfunction, uh, pelvic floor dysfunction yeah. to be dealt with. Um, perfect. And I would, yeah, education here is key. 
we don't know what we don't know. Um, and if, if we don't think that it is something that's going to impact us or our business or our members, I think, I think we're having a bit of a laugh. Um, yeah. in, in, in 2022, there were 4.4 million women using gyms and fitness facilities, um, outnumbering men. And if we come back to the stats of one in three women who have had a baby will leak urine, um, about 50% of women at some stage in their life will develop pelvic organ prolapse. And I say some stage in their life because, yeah, there is that postpartum journey. But once they get to two years, like I said, once you're in the hood, you're there for life. So when women go through post, you know, their postmenopausal, they have a drop in estrogen levels, which they're then at risk of developing a prolapse. And I've had clients come to me post-menopause and say, oh, my gosh, Brooke, I've just been diagnosed with a prolapse. What is this? So we have to remember that all mums matter, regardless of if their kid is 12 weeks old or two years old or, or 32 years old. So upskilling in this area, if we don't understand the importance of, of knowing more or like the key questions that we need to ask these members because our you know even our pre-exercise screen needs to be different like we need to understand our client's birth story essentially did they have a long pushing stage how big was their baby did they have any tearing was there use of forceps was it a c-section emergency or planned um yeah there's a lot i think education is the key because from there your members are going to be empowered and i also empowering them to take an appropriate option so crossfit's great we've got scaled we've got rx um maybe we need to scale that even further and it comes down to our dialogue as a coach. And, you know, I've been in sessions where it's like, if, if you pick up that, if you get the 20 kilo kettlebell, that's what you're sticking with for the rest of the session. Um, and as someone, yeah. you know, if I'm working through, you know, prolapse, that's not empowering me. No. Like, lucky I've, you know, I've got pretty thick skin. I'm like, oh, I know it's right. If I need to get a lesser weight or reduce, like I'll, I'll just do my own thing. I'm here, I'm working out. Um, yeah. but it's not empowering our women. It's going to embarrass them. Or if we've got running programmed and it's okay, unless you're injured, you're running. Um, mm. and what, what's an injury? Have they got a knee brace on? Have they got an ankle injury? You know, like they've got, if they leak when they run, if they have prolapse, they're going to want to be on a bike or an erg of, of yeah. some sort. So I think it's about just assuming that someone in your session, first of all, leveling up, um, and then making sure you have an appropriate option always and empowering them to take that option because if, if we don't, they're going to be in this, they're going to feel embarrassed, they're going to feel isolated, they're going to lack that confidence in their body and in your coaching. Um, so both of those things can go a really long way. Oh, I love that so much. And I think this is something that uh, we never did back in the day starting as a CrossFit coach back in 2011. Um, it was this way or not at all. Like this is how yeah. we do it. And it is RX, and if you don't do it like this, that's that's it. But I think yeah. pe people are starting to shift, and again, upskilling themselves. You know, in terms of the way they articulate particular things in the gym, to how they get the point across of what we're looking to achieve, but also allowing the the member, the athlete, the client to choose their own journey and be okay with wherever that sits. And the degree of difference and separation in fitness levels across the board, uh, it's not a it's not a not a, a, a bad thing but being open enough to be able to articulate it in a way that empowers them to do the type of movement to get the stimulus that they need without making them feel inferior or less of an athlete it is just at a different level and where you're at and you want to work to that level and you want to help them and inspire them to do that without making them feel like oh well what I'm doing is less good because it's less heavy or less intense or less technical 
The idea is to make them so fired up about the level that they're at so they have a good time and again, enjoy their 45 to 60 minutes and make that the best hour that they spend in the day because they're going to come back tomorrow. And the thing is, this all is a building effect. It's block on block on block and being consistent. And if we can, if we can um, help entice and fire up that member or client to come back again and do it again, then we, you know, we're winning like at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. Absolutely. And it has that flow on effect. So if they like, I call them my less sexy, but essential exercises um, because they're not, they're not going to look flashy in the gym or, you know, but if, if one person starts to take a further aggression or a light, like, it empowers other people to be like, oh yeah, like Brooke's doing that. Like I can do that too. So hopefully it's, you know, it's been offered in the coaching and the programming, but if not, if they see someone else doing something different, then it gives them that like, okay, I, I, I can be empowered to, to take a different option that might be better for where I'm at. Yeah, I love that. And from, from someone who, uh, let's just say someone is about, it, just say someone's just found out that they're pregnant and they are just like, you know what, I should really be doing some type of exercise and they haven't done any exercise for a couple of years, let's say, and they fall pregnant. And they do want to get back into exercise because they know the benefits. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to shift a few lifestyle changes now because I really want the pregnancy to go well. I want to be healthy. I want to be healthier, not just for me, but now for my child too. What is, what is the number one? What is the number one form of exercise that you would say for someone who's completely untrained? They don't exercise um, to get into just to get started. What's something that you would recommend? Would it be yoga, Pilates, PT? What type of stuff would you recommend? I would recommend PT, but with a trainer or a coach who's certified in working with this population um, because not all coaches are created equal and our industry isn't highly regulated. There isn't a need for ongoing development if, and if we don't feel like it, if we're not registered. So working with someone who's suitably qualified, particularly if you're new to exercise, is the way to go. Um, in saying that group fitness sessions are also incredible. So any kind of group environment is going to be great, not only for your strength and fitness, but also for your mental and emotional support. Amazing. And what type of thing, and I'm sure people that will be listening to this will be like, cool, I'm going to get a PT that is certified in this field to help me navigate my pregnancy and exercise during that. What are they typing into Google <laughs> to find that type of person? Is it, what's, what's the name of someone who, who um, would specialize in this area? Yeah. Well, you could head straight to my website and look for a certified trainer. So there's over 200 trainers across 14 countries now um, through my course, Functional Fitness for Pregnancy and Postpartum. So there's a link there if you're listening and you're like, right, I want to find someone in my area, um, head to my website and you can check that out. Otherwise, you know, Googling or Instagram hashtag searching pre and postnatal trainer, pre and postnatal coach, pre and postnatal certified, um, you know, functional fitness for pregnancy. That's the sort of thing. Um, that you can do to, to to help find someone that can help you on your journey. Amazing, and all that will be in the show notes too, guys. So if you wherever if you're watching this or listening to it, YouTube or uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that'll be in the show notes. Um, and if not, feel free just send me a message. If you can't find them for whatever reason, send me a, a DM, and I'll I'll send you the link to the website, and you can uh, check them out from there. Now, um, I have another question. I would like to know um, is is there a particular, is there a particular skill set 
that you think the trainer should have as well as being a pre and postnatal um, uh, trainer, personal trainer that would add just a little bit extra to the mix? Is there, is there another type of, um, is there another type of course or is there another type of um, thing that they should look for? Is it specifically, should you, you know, do you specifically want to see a female trainer or is that personal preference or can a male trainer be really good at this as well as long as they're educated? Yeah, absolutely. And when, when trainers come into my courses, I say it's not a prerequisite to have carried a pregnancy or, you know, to be male or female. And I think it's, it's so exciting when guys take interest in this or they're like, Hey, yeah. And I've, I've had, it's always a smaller minority, but yeah, if, if guys can level up in this area as well, you know, it's not a case of, oh, well, they haven't carried a pregnancy, so they're not going to know about it. Um, it's, that's not the case at all. If, if you've done the work, then your clients and your members are going to trust you. So, yeah, if this area interests you, then level up in that area. Um, build a relationship with a women's health physio as well. So if you, chances are there's a physiotherapist that comes to your gym or that you train or that you work out alongside with, find out if they have um, a women's health physiotherapist in their clinic and get them to maybe run an information session for your gym um, or link in because that there's the links are currently disjointed between GPs, allied health professionals, you know, fitness trainers, and it would be great to help close that gap and, and make this more holistic approach to, um, you know, women's health physios will help with pelvic floor therapy and pessaries. We haven't actually touched on that, James, but they're and if you're hearing this for the first time, a pessary is sort of like an ankle brace, but for your vagina, they come in all different shapes and sizes and physios and um, gynecologists can, can fit them. They're inserted into the vagina and basically support those internal structures where needed. If we think about going for a run, you're going to wear a supportive crop top, you're going to wear your best running shoes or whatever it is. It's, it's sort of like that. And again, it's lifting the stigma and talking about that a bit more. Mm. Um, whereas like the medical professional are a little bit more surgery, um, mm. which isn't necessarily always needed for women with pelvic floor dysfunction or prolapse and often wanting to prolong that until later in life. So looking at other things that we can do to help modify that as well. So working with a certified coach, but also if you're one of those, you know, have you got a women's health physio? If you're a female, seek one out and go and see one. If you've been pregnant or had a baby at any stage of your life, regardless of if you feel good because... You, you can't see what's happening on the inside and, and, and we need those eyes on the inside. Oh, I absolutely love it. And one, one last question before uh, we wrap up here. Um, if you have experienced or you are experiencing a, or if you do experience a, a prolapse, can it be reversed to the point of where it was prior or is it you know, going to be there for kind of forever again? Yeah. Or can it be, can it be reversed? Yeah, because that's the million-dollar question. It's like, well, I've just been told I have a prolapse. Like, what is this? Am I going to have it forever? Yeah. Um, one important thing to note with a prolapse is that it's not an acute condition. We're not going to sneeze and we, we, we get a prolapse. It's the sum of our experiences. So it's chronic. It's happened over a period of time. Um, in the early days of postpartum, we can definitely improve symptoms. So if somebody's breastfeeding, their estrogen levels are decreased, which kind of mimics menopause. So they may feel more symptomatic at that time. Um, so we, you know, and physios will generally see greater improvement in someone's prolapse or their symptoms in that first 12 months postpartum. Um, but once there is that downwards displacement, it's it's more about, okay, what can we do to, to strengthen 
um, those muscles and supporting ligaments? What can we do to help not worsen it? So it can't necessarily be reversed, but the symptoms and somebody's quality of life can absolutely be improved. Mm, excellent. Oh, and it just is. Sorry, it's just led me to another question. <laughs> I just yes. thought of something. Is there is there any? So if we if we if we see the the prolapses, you know, the ligaments have stretched, the muscles have stretched. We want to try and reinvigorate them to become tighter again and back to where they need to be to support our internal organs and support our exercise. Do you know of any any particular foods or supplementation? Because I know you're pretty good with food as well. Is there any particular foods that we should be looking at getting that will help those ligaments and tendons and muscles rebound a bit better? Yeah, so I'm still looking for research around collagen. You know, like there's lots of talk around that and how great that is for tissues and, and whatnot. So um, myself and my women's health physio, you know, asked her about that and what are the thoughts there. So, you know, collagen supplement could be really useful. Um, but in, you know, regular bowel movements, having a healthy, balanced diet, you know, lots of, mm. you know, fruit and vegetables, proteins, um, you know, supplementing where needed. With, um, yeah. yeah, so because toileting habits and, you know, if you're straining to go to the toilet, um, and, and they're not fantastic. We, we want to have good, good, good toileting habits and, and that yeah. comes from being well hydrated and consuming a, a good diet. Exactly. And that kind of all comes back around full circle to those pillars of performance, which we talk about on a regular basis, which was making sure that, you know, we're exercising in the nature that suits us best for that particular time and it will change and it doesn't have to be the same for your entire life. Making sure our sleep is on point. So we're, you know, we're, um, we're working in as much as we're working out at least, making sure that our social circles are good and we're happy and we're, we're vibing on, on a good frequency there. And then also, um, you know, making sure that our, our hydration is on point as well, making sure everything is kind of in check that nutrition, that sleep, the hydration, social circles, and they're all on point, exercises on point. So I think that's really fascinating. I think that people are going to be able to take a lot away from today. And again, um, for those of you that are listening, a lot of all these, all this information is going to be put in the show notes too. So don't stress out if you've missed something, go back and you can watch it again. And there's probably going to be a ton of information in there. But Brooke, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on and being so open about talking about a topic that is usually swept under the rug. And, um, I've honestly, I've learned so much already and I'm so glad. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much. I'm, I'm stoked to have been here and yeah, you're a legend for, for opening up this conversation and, and keeping it going.